Alright guys, I want you to imagine something with me. Use, use your mic, okay? I want you to see this pillow here, okay? See this pillow? I want you to picture that this is Rick Berman, okay? Yeah! A lot of people question why I say Rick Berman ruined Star Trek, and of course I tend to bring up the big things. But I've been trying, as we've been going through this series, and if I ever look at Enterprise, I'll be talking about it there as well, to discuss the little things that Rick Berman did to ruin Star Trek. This episode came out in Season 7. This is Season 7 of Deep Space Nine. Okay, that's the one that's going concurrent right now. Obviously, the big swing of the Dominion War arc. In fact, at this point in time, I believe they were starting to do the final wind-up, leading into uh, the heist episode, whose name I actually can't remember, but it was a good episode. Um, and Rick Berman said, and okay, so why is this relevant? The original draft for this episode sounds amazing. This episode's painful to watch, but not for the same reason it used to be. Originally, it was painful to watch because it's, it's this big, it, it's, it's bad children's television is what I like to call it. Um, if I can diverge for a moment. One of the things I tend to be very, very picky about with the kind of things that anyone I'm taking care of who is of a young age, and this has happened four, four times in my life so far that I've been taking care of a little one, uh, including my niece most recently, is I'm very picky about what I let them watch. And it's hard to describe exactly what I mean by that, but basically I, I don't want it to be meaningless drivel. I don't want it to be pandering. I want it to be something well-presented and well-executed, something that has treats the child as if they have a brain rather than treats them as if they are a pile of mush. The children's section of this episode clearly treats the child as if they have mush instead of a brain. And it's just, oh. And so every other time I've watched this, it's just, oh, God, why? But then when I started actually doing research and looked into it, and then I realized the truth. Now I'm groaning for a completely different reason. Now it's difficult to watch because it could have been perfect. Imagine this ridiculous children's episode of the holodeck. And, I, and as an aside, I like the idea of children's programs being on the holodeck. That, I know that's a little thing, and it's, but it's an excellent example of world building that I don't think we've ever really seen before in all of Star Trek, even though it's a logical extension of the holodeck technology to, to use that as, as a learning tool because of the safety measures and all that for children. Of course, a cynic out there would say, but the holodeck fails every other week, but you get the point. So I like that idea, and I like the idea of what this original script was. Let me lay this out for you, because this is what I would have done. You know, I, I just did a, what I would have done in the last episode. This is what I would have done, is the original script idea. Voyager has become caught up in a war. Some kind of conflict of, of different alien races, and it's going badly. And it's a situation where her mother might die. And whether she dies or not is irrelevant, because that's not the point. The entire episode is then shot from the perspective of, of, of Naomi Wildman, the child, who is just, you know, confused and uncertain and has no idea what's going on, per se. But if you understand, I'm saying this wrong. Okay, you remember the episode TNG Lower Decks? It was an ep it was Lower Decks is a great episode because it was a completely normal Star Trek episode, but it was shot from a completely different perspective. It's actually the same reason I like the TNG episode First Contact. Again, totally normal TNG episode, but shot from the, basically from the perspective of the aliens, right? That's why what that's what gave both of those episodes flavor and fun. This episode would be a typical Voyager is in danger because there's some alien race episode, but it would be shot from the perspective of Naomi. Same idea, same concept. And so from through Naomi's eyes, we see only glimpses and bits and pieces of what's going on. We, the viewers, have to piece things together as she does. And as things get worse and worse, and she's spending all this time on this holodeck, and Neelix occasionally shows up to try and take care of her, and, you know, the adults every now and again are just showing up, hey, how are things, you know. 
and, and, and the situation is clearly escalating behind the scenes, so to speak, but we don't see any of that. We don't understand exactly how bad bad is getting. And that would make the, the ridiculous, cartoonish, brain-mush children's stuff make much more sense and be much more horrifying because it would be in such contrast of what's going on and it would be that contrast for Naomi herself as she slowly comes to realize the reality of the situation and the reality of how bad things were. And then, you know, in the resolution of it, it would have been her, you know, finally reaching her mother and being so happy and, and grateful to have her mother. And the grim faces of, of the crew behind her mother, because not everyone made it after they made it through this horrible conflict. And make it last days, if not weeks, if not months. That was the original idea for the episode. And then Rick Berman came along and said, No! I hate quality! I hate everything! I don't know what this hand thing is. I'm not going for like a Nazi salute. I was just trying to I was trying to slap my my leg and then it just turned into this gesture. I don't know. I just ugh. Rick Berman came along and said, "No, no, 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 no. We can't have two war episodes. We have war episodes happening in Deep Space 9. We can't have war episodes happening on Voyager." I mean, people might get confused between the two. People might think, oh, God, Star Trek's all about war now. No, we have abandoned Gene Roddenberry's vision. I'm sorry. I, I, I just want to slug that man. Which I've already done twice now. Third one, just... Ugh! The pillow's, like, halfway across. Actually, the pillow's on the other side of the room over there. I'm going to have to go retrieve that at some point. So what we get instead is this episode, which is Grick. I think that's a good word for it. Because here's the thing. That other episode I talked about, they were well into production into that episode. They hadn't quite started filming it, but they had already done basically all of the groundwork and all of the laying for that. Lines had been drawn, you know, or lines had been written... And, and shots had been made, special effects work had been done, and then Rick Berman comes down and says, nah! So as a result, they had an extremely limited period of time to make the new episode, and it shows a lot. In fact, I'm going to actually pull something up here. I meant to write these names down. Forgive me. Let's, let's pull this up here. Uh, oh, it's not going to tell me, is it? They, they, they had a bit of a problem with regards to pushing this episode together. And multiple, multiple writers got involved and were trying just to mush the various ideas that they had together into this episode. And, and it shows. God, it shows. One of the things that I find most disappointing about this is the idea of how exactly it, it unfolds because and this is more a Neelix story than anything else. Let, let me rewind a bit. Let me say one thing in acceptance of this episode. The actress who plays Naomi Wildman actually does a really good job. Uh, they pulled the same girl for several future episodes and she'll become somewhat of a recurring character. I know a lot of Star Trek fans don't actually like Naomi Wildman. Uh, I am not among those. I actually uh, think she's a pretty good addition to the crew, a unique uh, spin on things, a nice because she's a, she is actually something kind of unique to Star Trek at this point in time. She is a ship... Uh, ship-born character who has never known anything other than the ship. She and she probably you know never will for the next thirty plus years. So she's a she's a unique perspective you can use that. And they do actually do some things with this in later episodes. So that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, she's uh, she they, she did a really good job. And th but this isn't an episode about her, which is kind of the point. This is an episode about Neelix. 
there Neelix gets more and more desperate and more and more insistent that they cannot tell her the truth. The actual episode is about her mother being trapped in a shuttle accident and, and, and suffocating to death under tons and tons of rock. And, okay, that's passable, I guess. And um, there's actually some... There are There is some good banter on the shuttle. Uh, one of my favorite sections... I shouldn't say banter, some dialogue. One of my favorite sections is when uh, Naomi Wildman is like, oh, God, I'm, you know, I'm worried about... It. And, and, and Tuvok says, you should not be concerned about your daughter. And, and, and uh, Ensign Wildman's like, well, why not? And Tuvok says, you know... Or I'm sorry. She says. She says, "Why not? You have a daughter too." And, and Tuvok says, "Yes." And my my child has been imbued with all the knowledge and wisdom that I can, and I understand and know that they will grow and become strong and live and live long and prosper. I have to take comfort in that. And so Ensign Wildman just kind of accepts that you know the same is true for Naomi. It's it's a good line. I'm I'm butchering it. Forgive me. I didn't write it down word for word, obviously, but uh, it's it's a really good line. I also like the section where. Uh, Tom and Tuvok are talking, and, and Tuvok is talking about how the inevitability of death is something that you should accept and be at peace with. And Tom's response is, if that's another Vulcan saying, I think I'll stick with live long and prosper, thanks. <laughs> um, I, uh, I also like, uh, there's a scene in this episode where Naomi and, uh, and, and Seven of Nine, Seven, both interact and I know this sounds weird, but that scene, there was actually a surprising amount of chemistry between Jerry Ryan and the actress who plays Naomi Wildman, I forget her name. And so they decided to go ahead and use that in future episodes, which again will come forward in the in the Picture Plan episode, which we'll get to uh, this this season, I believe. Um, oh, hey, I have, I have her name written right down here. I, I'm taking computer notes instead of written notes for once. It's not working out as well as I'd like. Uh, Scarlet Palmers, that's the name of the woman who played uh, Naomi Wildman. And uh, so that that's kind of cool. I, I I'm sorry I don't have much to say about this episode, but let's let's talk about Neelix. Let's let's talk about Neelix and why this is actually pretty cool. The, the one and only good thing they did with this. There's a scene where where Neelix is literally shouting at Janeway. When you you know you, when you were her age, you were someone who had your your mother and father, and you had no idea what it was like to be without them. And if you did, you would have you would not like it. You would not enjoy the sensation. The implication here is actually very indicative and, and again shows off Ethan Phillips' acting chops. The idea is that Neelix still to this day has never really overcome some of the horrors of his past. He has not actually accepted and moved on from all the things that happened to him. And that's understandable. He doesn't actually have to, per se. He has his new life. He has his new path. He has a new career, so to speak. You know, he's moved on in a... I've decided not to think about it kind of a way. With Naomi, he has the chance to be, you know, the godfather, the uncle. And Lord knows I understand that sensation since I am an uncle uh, more than once, technically, but really just the one time. And, you know, he, he is, of course, very protective of Naomi, but at no point in time do I actually feel he is being overprotective of her, just from my perspective. I feel like he is being protective of her and allowing his own past to color that protection. Because Neelix had a terrible childhood. Neelix went through horrible things when he was younger, and of course was alive during the Great War against the, I forget their names. So all of that is in indicative of the kind of life he led and the kind of life he wants to ensure Naomi never leads. Because if Naomi was to go through those horrible things, then she would feel just as horrible as he did back when he was going through all that mess, right? So 
it, it, it's perfectly logical that he'd want to shield her from that. Most parents have that desire to try and shield their children from the horrors they went through when they were younger. And so I like that. I like how Neelix presents that. I like how he, he gets completely defensive. I like how he tries to completely shield her from things because it makes sense. I also like how it is inevitably uh, unveiled because Naomi finds out that he's been lying to her. And that's what actually hurts her. It's not the truth itself. It's not the reality. It's the fact that Neelix was lying to her. And then Neelix himself realizing that, that deception in such a manner is not going to help a situation because inevitably it's going to break down and then it's just going to be worse than it was before. And I like that message as opposed to the we must tell the truth forever because the future does not grieve, which would be the Roddenberry ideal, by the way. One of these days I swear I'll stop bashing that man. One of these days. Um... And uh, I, I honestly, uh, oh, one other, th one other thing. I don't have much else to talk about in this episode. Is, these latest episodes are just getting really short. I'm sorry about this, guys. But the last thing I want to mention here is an interesting idea. When uh, Ensign Wildman goes into the thing, the the characters on the show, uh, the characters in the children's holiday program, recognize her and react to her, and she says, "Yeah, it's been a while." That presents a lot of interesting concepts with regards to how the holodeck can save and store information for future years, because that would have been when she was a child, which would have been before she was on Voyager, so that's an extremely unusual situation there, and um, makes me wonder if that information is just transferred forward. Like, for example, just imagine if you had a, a flash drive like this, right? And this flash drive could just transfer information into into the future of, like, every holodeck program you've ever interacted with as, like, a, a history, like like on Firefox or whatever. And just, ah, oh, there we go. Well, I see you did this kind of a thing. I just kind of like that idea and that application of the technology because that is the kind of thing I could actually see happening in real life. Um, and uh, that's kind of it. I don't have much to say about this one. Oh, one, one last thing, one last thing really quick before I forget. Uh, a lot of people, I've been mentioning how I've been being more and more harsh on Rick Berman over the course of the last uh, however many years I've been looking at this series. I've also been more inclined towards Brennan Braga. The more I read about this, the more I hear about this. Let me explain one of the reasons why I say that. Rick Berman, of course, was like, oh, we must not do anything new ever. Brennan Braga was one of the people who really championed the idea of doing something different, like like the original story idea was for this episode, the idea of you know the, the, the war from the child's perspective thing. And that's one of the things I like about Brandon Braga. He makes mistakes, often. He's very human. He helps Threshold, for God's sakes. But he was always trying to do something new. He was always trying to push the boundaries of what Star Trek was as a show. He was always trying to actually make it into something more than just another 40 minutes of television. He cared, in other words. He actually wanted to put forth quality television. And, and, I have, and that engenders a lot of respect for me. And it's one of the reasons I feel I'm getting a lot more positively inclined towards him over the years. So... I guess that's it. Sorry, guys, not much to say. Uh, hopefully next week we'll have something more interesting to talk about. I'll see you when we get there, guys. You're never getting out of here. Do not give up hope. The probability of our being rescued is low, but not statistically impossible. <laughs> Comforting. Who's going to look after Naomi? You should not concern yourself with that now. How can you say that? My youngest child has been without a father for four years. Yet I am certain of her well-being, that I conveyed my values to her before leaving, and I have confidence in the integrity of those around her. You have been an exemplary mother to Naomi, and she is in the hands of people you trust. She will survive and prosper, no matter what becomes of us. Thanks, Tuvok.